Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 147 of SwiftCast. This is Adam. Ashley. Steph. And Ashley. And we have a great episode coming up for you guys. In our main discussion, we're going to have a discussion about the song This Love, and also about the producer of that song, who is Nathan Chapman. And four of us are here tonight. We've all sort of had really weird traveling all over the place schedules for the past month or so. Yeah, we've been busy. Yeah, we have been busy. And even though Taylor is currently in her off time, if you will, there's still been lots of news that's been flowing and she's still very present in social media and online. So we have some of that coming up in the news for you. So last night I went to see one of Taylor's friends and special guests, which is Rachel Platten on her wildfire tour here in Chicago. Awesome. How was it? It was really good. It was a great show. I had never seen her before. Unfortunately, I wasn't there when she was a guest. Steph, you were there for that, weren't you? Yeah, I was in Philadelphia. So yeah, it was awesome to see her live finally. I'll always remember that performance, that special guest performance, because from the videos I saw, it was still one of my favorites, having her sing Fight Song with Taylor. And that was at the point where that song was starting to get known, but hadn't quite blown up yet. And I feel like Taylor bringing her out really put it over the edge. Yeah, it was actually crazy. The week before Philadelphia was Pittsburgh, and Kelsey and Rachel were both there. And I think that's when Taylor and Rachel met, and Taylor said, hey, you want to come out next week? And I didn't really even know the song. I knew it, but I didn't know it. Like Ashley said, it had not yet really blown up. So it was really cool to see the reaction that people had after she brought Rachel out and the song just became what it is now. And Rachel definitely acknowledges in her concert just how much her life has changed over the past year. She says something along the lines of, Last time I played in Chicago, there was about 50 people, and now I'm playing to a sold-out venue. Where did you all come from? (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it was a sold-out show, and everyone, of course, knew the words to Fight Song. But besides that, it seemed like everyone knew most of the words to almost every song on her album, and she played her whole Wildfire album. So did she have any type of opportunity for a meet and greet or was it like a vip purchase that you had to make to be able to do that i think hers are all sold on her website before the show so unfortunately i didn't get to meet her but i know a couple people that did and they had great experiences it seems like she's really awesome and puts on a great show and is great with her fans and i'm excited to see how her career goes awesome well as with so many of taylor's special guests we'll have to keep following along and see how big they can become. But for now, let's move into our fun segment, looking back at older tweets from March of previous years. On March 18th of 2012, Taylor tweeted, Tonight we ended a 13-month tour. It was a beautiful trip around the world, and I wouldn't trade those memories for anything. Thanks, guys. And this, of course, was when the Speak Now World Tour ended in Australia. And I don't think I realized until right now that the Speak Now World Tour was 13 months long. I'm sure that was on purpose. I'm sure it was. And then that same week, which was on March 16th of 2012, Taylor also tweeted, Celebrating St. Patrick's Day the best way I know how. Donuts. And I think this was always a very 
iconic and memorable picture of her with the green donut. Definitely iconic. I think Taylor Nation even posted that one again this past week. Yes, they did. Mm Mm-hmm. On March 13th of 2013, Taylor tweeted, Can't believe I'm getting ready for the first show of the Red Tour. In Omaha. Yeah, Haley and I talked about that last week. It's crazy that it's been three years. And how fitting that the date of that was 3-13-13. It couldn't be a possibly better date. (laughs) And definitely was on purpose. Well, the next night after Taylor had played opening two nights in Omaha, she tweeted, To everyone who came to see us these past two nights in Omaha, thank you for your screaming and dancing and singing. I'm driving away smiling. That was such a great tour. On March 13th of 2014, Taylor tweeted, A day of cooking in the Hamptons with my hero, in all capital letters. How bad can that be? And then she tagged Ina Gardner and the Food Network magazine and included a photo and... This was really exciting. She even had Andrea and Austin there with her. And I think everybody just sort of, if they didn't already know who Ina was, they quickly became aware. It was just really cool that Taylor got to meet her idol and cook with her. I would love to know who else is on the list, because obviously Taylor can meet whoever she wants, but who are just her idols, like anybody she hasn't met yet that she's hoping to meet. That's true. I think Taylor started following Ina years and years ago. I think Lily Aldridge told her about a fish recipe or something. After Lily said that, Taylor started following her way back when Taylor and Lily first met, which was years ago. Well, a few days after that, on March 16th of 2014, Taylor tweeted, One of the only unchanging things about my life in the last 10 years is my love of Paramore, Inger Michaelson, Fall Out Boy, and Coldplay. That's so funny because now I'm thinking about Taylor's reaction to Coldplay after the Super Bowl this year. I've always been waiting for her to bring them out as a special guest, or at least bring out Chris Martin. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, and the first thing I noticed about the four artists on that list is that none of them were a special guest for 1989. I especially expected Ingrid after she played the piano version of Clean in December of 2014. Actually, right the day before Taylor's birthday at the Billboard event. So yeah, I'm surprised too. Fall Out Boy was a guest on the Red Tour. And Paramore was on the Speak Now Tour. And she's obviously such good friends with Haley Williams. But maybe for the next tour, we hope. On March 14th, 2015... Taylor tweeted, great work, Meredith. I was just trying to love you, and now you owe me $40 million. <laughs> That's one of my all-time favorite tweets, <laughs> especially with the picture. The sass was definitely there because the media was spreading around these articles that Taylor had insured her legs for $40 million, and Meredith had scratched her leg. So it was just really funny. I'm still convinced that that probably was when Taylor was filming the video portion for tour, and Meredith was in a bad mood that day. You're right. It very well could have been. And our next one comes from March 16th of 2015. Last year, Taylor tweeted, 50 days until the 1989 World Tour kicks off. No big deal. Wow, at this time last year, we had no idea what we'd be in store for with this tour. Yeah, we really didn't. Hopefully in a year. 
she'll be having another similar tweet again. Let's hope so. That same day, on March 16th, 2015, Taylor tweeted, Style just went number one at Pop Radio. Thanks for three in a row, guys. This is unreal. And here we are a year later, hoping that New Romantics will soon go to number one. I heard on a countdown yesterday that it had the highest jump of any song of the week. It went up seven spots. I think it was number 16 or something like that. That was just a radio countdown, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think once the video is released, it will get even more airplay. I think so, too. The video will be good promotion for it and will help drive discussion, and it should get some more ranks up the chart then as well. Well, that wraps up our Older Tweets segment for this episode. Now let's move straight into the news in Keeping Up With Swift. Our first piece of news is that Taylor won Favorite International Video for Bad Blood at the MYX Music Awards. It's exciting. I'm not super familiar with that award show. No, she just wins awards at shows she doesn't even attend. (laughs) She's just that good. Our next piece of news is that Taylor and Calvin both posted some videos and pictures while they were on vacation together. They even brought along the infamous inflatable swan that has been seen in some photos before. And one of the captions that Taylor used was, That time when we finally took a vacation. This was definitely the biggest news of the week. The number of news articles that covered this was just crazy. Everybody was talking about it. It was trending and all over the place on social media, and it looked like it was a nice vacation. Taylor was hopping around out in the ocean, and like Adam said, they had the swan. Was it really a vacation, or was it Taylor shooting a swimsuit calendar? Because I really couldn't tell. (laughs) That's true. I think she changed her swimsuit at least three times, and she absolutely looked like she belonged in the swimsuit edition of the Victoria's Secret catalog. And another thought that I always have with those types of pictures is whoever's taking these pictures is doing a very good job. Yeah, a lot of people were talking about that. I'm sure her guards were there. They must be a pro at photos by now. Yeah, and some of them Calvin probably took, but with the ones with both of them, probably a guard or someone. And another thing that I saw people discussing, which I guess if you didn't know, you would be kind of confused, but one of the pictures, it was written in the sand, T-S plus A-W. And some people had no idea and were like, who in the world is A-W? That's actually Calvin's real initials. Um, If anybody didn't know, Calvin Harris is a stage name and his real name is Adam Wiles. So A-W. And I always felt like he could have been just as successful with that name. Yeah. Yeah. I prefer Calvin Harris, but it's not really that unique of a name. It is an interesting stage name to choose, you're right. I wonder how he chose that. That is a great question. Maybe we can get him on for an interview and we can ask him. (laughs) That sounds good. Coming soon. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor returned to Nashville after her vacation with Calvin, and she spent some time visiting with Andrea, and she posted some hilarious videos with her mom's Great Dane, and the dog's name is actually Kitty. And she wrote, My mom's dog is named Kitty, and yet she is nothing like a cat. And the two videos that Taylor posted included one where Kitty seemed to be trying to hug Taylor and sort of suffocating her in the process. 
And then the second video was Taylor was eating whipped cream out of a can, typical of Taylor behavior. And Kitty wanted some whipped cream too, but Taylor said no. <laughs> and the whipped cream video was probably my favorite because, like I said, it's typical Taylor fashion. Back in 2008, Taylor posted a vlog of her on a tour bus eating whipped cream out of a can. So I wonder if that's a regular occurrence for her. It sure seems like it. Yeah, people probably are going to start giving her bottles of whipped cream <laughs> or something. I've never actually done that, but maybe I should try just eating the whipped cream out of the can. Yeah, it looked like it was ready whip, which is very good whipped cream. And in our next piece of news, Taylor officially has 73 million followers on Twitter. Yay! It's a lot. And an exciting surprise that happened this week was that Taylor was the special surprise guest at Ryan Seacrest Studio opening at the Monroe Correll Jr. Children's Hospital, which is at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. So Taylor was there for the ribbon cutting, and she visited some kids that were there, and seemed like everyone was, of course, so excited that she showed up, and I think it was great that she's able to do things like this in her spare time. Yeah, that was definitely very... Very exciting and surprising. I don't think anybody expected her to be there. Yeah, it's great that she still finds the time to do stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, that same day after being in Nashville, Taylor flew to Vegas and she went to Calvin's show. And some of her friends went, including Carly Kloss, Brittany Mack, Soraya, some of the Heim sisters, and Austin. Where's the drop, guys? <laughs> <laughs> We should have started our episode just with playing that clip because it's that good. <laughs> yeah, she posted a video of her saying, where's the drop? It was really funny. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. And then when the drop comes, she goes crazy. Did it sound to any of you guys like she was talking in a weird accent when she said it? Maybe a little. <laughs> I think she was just having a great time. It's fun to see her just out in a club. It's not something you usually see. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It, it looked like she just was having a blast, taking photos and dancing. I also really loved her outfit that she was wearing that night. Yeah, me too. Which we will talk about in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, Taylor's theme of the week seemed to be showing up in places where nobody at all expected her, because she ended up showing up at Reese Witherspoon's birthday, which I guess isn't that surprising because she is known to be a friend of Reese's. But then Taylor ended up singing Shake It Off at the birthday party, and Keith Urban played his guitar to back Taylor up during Shake It Off, which was crazy. I really wish we could see a full video of that. And Taylor also took some photos with Laura Dern and Cheryl Strayed. I'm surprised we didn't get any photos of Taylor and Reese, but maybe we will in the next day or two. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Keith also sang Sweet Home Alabama for Reese, which is cute because Reese was in the movie Sweet Home Alabama. But I also hope we get photos of Taylor and Keith together. I just love them together. They're my favorite pairing, and I was very, very upset that I was not at the Toronto show when he showed up. Me too. Not only did we miss one song with Keith, but they actually did two in Toronto. But it is nice to see that throughout all of these years, they still get together and play together. It's great. 
That is all for the new segment for this week. And as Ashley mentioned, she really liked Taylor's outfit from Omnia Nightclub, which is where she was for Calvin's performance. And we'll get our fashion segment kicked off with that outfit. Yes, that outfit was on March 19th, 2016. And she was wearing an aqua crop top and a matching skirt. And it's called the Splatter Cutout Crop Top which unfortunately is no longer available. But the splatter fit and flare skirt was $68, and it's now on sale for $25.50. That's a really good deal. And I might be ordering it as we speak. <laughs> yeah, even without the crop top, the skirt is great. And that's a good deal. And then she also carried her Jimmy Choo Locket Spazzolata crossbody bag in dark Shiraz, which is $1,450. Our next piece of fashion is from Taylor's vacation with Calvin this week. And as we mentioned, she wore quite an assortment of different bathing suits in these pictures that they posted. But the first one was she had the Victoria's Secret neoprene triangle top bikini. And it's not available in the exact style, but it was $24.99. Another one that she was seen wearing was the solid and striped the Morgan striped bikini top and brief. The top is sold out and the brief is $125, but on sale for $62. And again, you could get the bikini bottoms and pair it with a different color. That's a pretty good discount from $125 to $62. Taylor's third bikini was from For Love and Lemons. It was called the Valencia Bikini Top which is $162, and the Valencia Bikini Bottom is $136. That's a pricey swimsuit. But like we said, Taylor just looked like a model in all of her swimsuits. As always, we want to say thank you to TaySwiftStyle.com, and you can go visit that website to find out more information about all of these outfits. For our main discussion this week, we wanted to talk a little bit about the song This Love and its producer, Nathan Chapman. So Taylor and Nathan Chapman have worked together a lot over the years. And on 1989, This Love is the only song that they did together, but it's also the only song that Taylor wrote all by herself. So it's definitely special in that way. And she talked a little bit about the song and what the song represented in her video where she went through track by track of 1989. This Love is a song that I wrote very early on in this process, and it was the first time I really started experimenting with different vocal recording styles. In this case, I wanted it to sound kind of haunting, and so I sang this song differently than I've sung most of my other songs. I recorded it differently. You have mo multiple vocals going throughout the entire song. It's about kind of a, an experience I had where if you truly care about someone and you know they're not ready to be in a relationship, you will let them go. And it, it sucks to be the one who has to let something go and cut someone loose when you don't want to, but I think you have to be selfless in, in relationships when you know that, that it's not the right time. And if you make that decision and that person is supposed to be in your life, they'll come back. And this uh, was the way that I felt when that came back around. I think Taylor is right that it does 
seem like a song in the album that is different from all of the other songs on the album, it still achieves Taylor's goal of the album being cohesive, but it does sound a lot different. She was definitely experimenting with different recording styles, and I like how she said she wanted it to sound haunting, because I definitely think she accomplished that. You know, I never thought of it in that way, but after she described it that way, I can definitely hear it. I think so too, and because it's such a slow song, it kind of has that haunting, maybe not sad, but maybe a little bit more of a a somber tone to it. Yeah, I think somber is a good word. It feels like a sad song, even though it is about the love coming back. It's funny because when I think about 1989 as a whole, there are some songs, like for example, All You Had to Do Was Stay, that have a sad message and sound uplifting, like the song itself still sounds upbeat. And then this one, like you just said, it's about someone coming back, which isn't sad, but it has a sad sound. Yeah, isn't it funny how she does that? Taylor recently mentioned that she wanted I Knew You Were Trouble to be a slow ballad, and it clearly was not. So it's just interesting how the progression of the final song comes about. Do you guys have any favorite particular lyrics from the song? I think mine has always been, this love left a permanent mark. I don't know why, but that specific line I've always really liked. And just really the whole song in general, it's very descriptive. I feel like she took sort of the metaphor of water and sailing and things like that to reflect the emotions of the song. Definitely. You just mentioned the water. I was going to say that my favorite is probably the first four lines of the song, starting with the very first line, clear blue water, high tide came and brought you in. And then from there, it's just so descriptive. And obviously, we know being fans and having heard five albums that her writing is unbelievably good. But these lyrics are just so well written and so descriptive. And when you actually go look at them, they're awesome. Definitely. And this is, like we said, the only song Taylor wrote completely independently. So nobody needs to worry about her songwriting skills at all. But an interesting thing about this song is Taylor actually began the song by writing it as a poem. And as you all know, Taylor is a talented poetry writer. She won a national poetry contest when she was in fourth grade. And when she talks about how she writes songs, she's mentioned that she does sometimes use poetry. And here, this is an example of a song where she was writing a poem and it became an actual song on the album, which I think is really cool. But as for me, I don't know what my favorite lyric is. One thing I like is how a lot of themes on the album, even just specific words that Taylor uses throughout the whole album, show up in this song. For example, you have Sinking Ships, which is also in I Know Places. And then she talks later in the song, Your Kiss, My Cheek. A ton of songs on 1989 are about kisses on cheeks. And then she also mentions your smile, my ghost, I fell to my knees. And an interesting theme I noticed on 1989 was Taylor's reference to ghosts throughout different songs on the album. So like I said, even though this song does seem different from the other songs on the album, it really is cohesive and ties together with all of the songs on the album. 
Well, that leads me to ask you guys, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but what did everyone think of the tour performance? I missed it when it was gone. Yeah, was this the one that originally started switching off between This Love and Wonderland? Is that correct? No, this one she did right after Style, and she would bring out her backup singers, and she kept it on for several weeks, but then she ended up cutting it and didn't bring it back until close to the end of the tour. Fortunately, it's on the live video that's available on Apple. But I liked how simple it was. She started just singing on the B stage with a microphone still in her style outfit, and then her backup singers come out, and she moves toward the center of the catwalk. And I liked how it really showcased the backup singers, and they got a nice moment in the spotlight. And it was just really simple. And I I thought that was essential for this song. I feel like I didn't appreciate it enough. And then when it was gone, I missed it so badly. I agree. I felt like I didn't appreciate it enough either. And then it just went away. And unlike the song, it just was not coming back for us. (laughs) That's just so funny because I thought about stay, stay, stay and how that didn't stay. And this is like the same thing. This love came back to me, but this performance did not. (laughs) It did not come back from the dead, no. And also, all you had to do was stay did not stay, right? (laughs) (laughs) What is up with that? Wow. Well, that was probably why I didn't remember exactly where this was in the set list, because it did get cut for a good chunk of it. Um, But you hit the nail on the head in that It's so simple, and it didn't need anything extravagant. It didn't need dancers or background props or anything. So the way that she did do it with the backup singers coming out onto the catwalk was perfect. I think the only thing I would have changed if I could have her do it differently was I would have just as much liked to see it on the piano. Yeah, this would be a great song on the piano. I can also see this being... A once in a while secret acoustic song she pulls out later in the future. People would go insane. Wow. It would be so exciting. Even though the performance was pretty simple, one of my favorite parts was how when they all went back up on the main stage, the sparks went off and it lined up with when she's singing, This Love is Glowing in the Dark. I thought that was a nice touch. And I I really missed that aspect because I like. When she sets off fireworks and has all these interesting things for fans to look at during the performance. Sometimes the special guests still used those after the song was cut, but I thought it was a nice touch. Well, we mentioned earlier that Nathan Chapman is the producer on the song, and he has a long history of working with Taylor. And when Taylor did her Grammy listening session a few months ago, she talked to the crowd explaining the history of their relationship a little bit. I had been working with this demo producer named Nathan Chapman, who worked, um, he worked in a, it was actually a shack, like I'm not exaggerating. I loved the demos that we made together, and so when it came time to make my record, uh, Scott was like, well, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna put you with producers who have actually made albums before. And I was like, but this guy is so great, and he's like, but has he made an album before? I was like, technically no. But, um, you know, so, so I went in and I tried it with a lot of different people who are awesome and it just wasn't that same magic that I got with my demo producer who worked in a shack and 
so after a lot of um, begging and pleading, I got my label to agree to let Nathan Chapman produce my entire first album. And he has worked on every single album that I've done since, including 1989. So that turned out well. So it was really cool hearing how their relationship started. And I think that it's just so typical of Taylor that even at that young age, she was so firm in who she wanted to work with and how she wanted her album to be that she convinced her label, who was already taking a chance on her as a young artist, that this was who needed to produce the album. Yeah, isn't that funny? Because there we are for 1989, where Taylor had to convince her album label that this was what she needed to do. I like how Taylor just has strong convictions and will stick with them and Clearly, we think Nathan was a fantastic choice. When I first read the song list of 1989, I immediately looked to see if he was involved, and I was so glad to see that he was. So there's an article in 2013 from Music Radar, and they were asking him about working with Taylor, and they brought up how he won, along with Taylor, an Album of the Year Grammy Award in 2010 for co-producing Fearless. And what he said about that was, it was cool to have something like that happen early in my career. It let me see how high the bar is. But winning the Grammy didn't take away my dreams. It gave me more goals to shoot for. I was like, okay, I'd like to do that again someday. And I feel like that perfectly lines up with what Taylor has been striving towards all this time until this recent album of the year win. Yeah, it's cool to look back on that quote and see that they accomplished their goals. They did it again. I also find it cool that he went from producing her country albums to producing her first pop album. I don't know really anything about producing, but she could have gone with another producer who maybe has had a track record of success with pop music in the past, but she stuck with him, and I'm glad she did. Yeah, and even though that they only did the one song together, the fact that they're still working together makes me hopeful that they'll continue to work together. And I think they always produce really great stuff. During this interview, Nathan also talked about how amazing Taylor was just from the beginning when he first met her. He said that one of her first big hits off the first album was Our Song. And he said... If you break down that chorus lyric, our song is a slamming screen door, sneaking out late, tapping on your window, it's like all of these sounds of the relationship are the song. That's super smart. Brilliant stuff. As a young producer wanting to work on the best songs I could get my hands on, I was like, I got it. That was the first thing that hit me about Taylor, the songwriting. And again, I think if you look at the lyrics of this love, you can see her skill has only been refined and developed and she's really been able to enhance her skills over the years and i still think and i will always think that no matter how many great collaborations she does she does some of her best work just by herself i agree it would be cool to have another speak now album of only taylor because i'm positive it would be brilliant but i like that she wants to learn from other people and that's why she collaborates with people. And so then they asked him, being that you're a guitar player, when it came time to produce Taylor, what did you envision for the actual guitar sound on the record? And he said, a lot of times producers tend to take what a songwriter wrote and make it different because they think it needs to be different. 
Some producers are like, here's the song and here's the production. With me, it's just, here's the song. I wanted the production to disappear into her vision of what the song should be. And then he continued, I just thought Taylor's songs need to be bigger. The idea was to keep the heart and soul of the songs, make them bigger, add drums and bass and overdubs, percussion and harmonies, but not make them different. I think the sound of those first two or three records we did together is the heart and soul of what she wrote, and it's the bigger version of what she sang to me, just her and her guitar. It's what I heard in my head, but I tried not to make it different from what she felt like when she was writing. I think this is a perfect example of why the majority of her songs, if not all of them, work equally well acoustic or full band performance. Yeah, exactly. Because they start with her and her guitar, and then they're turned into this whole production, but when you go back to what they started with, they're still amazing songs just stripped down on their own. She's never relied on the production to turn a only a mediocre song into a good song. And I think a perfect example of that is Shake It Off. I think we were talking amongst ourselves, our SwiftCast hosts here, not on a podcast, but just on our own, about Shake It Off being acoustic. And I think this was a long time ago. I was very skeptical of it, and I didn't think it would work. But then she did play it acoustic at the Grammy recording session. Yeah, she's played it a few times. She also did it at the Nova Red Room, and it's always amazing. Correct, and it blew me away, and I will admit that I was completely wrong. I didn't think it would work as an acoustic song, but it's fantastic. Yeah, and even one thing I noticed when the album came out and people were reviewing it, and these reviewers were listening to the song memos, and I just remember one review that really struck me, and it was somebody wrote, from these song memos, you can tell that Taylor is still through and through a songwriter. She developed her country songwriting skills, and when you listen to these voice memos, and they were especially talking about Blank Space, where it's just Taylor and her guitar, and the reviewer said, that right there is Taylor Swift. And everything they did with Blank Space made it amazing. And we all love it, but it is really cool, just like Adam said about Shake It Off, to hear Blank Space Acoustic and what it actually started out as, just Taylor and her guitar. So they then asked him in this interview, You've undoubtedly taught Taylor a thing or two during your time together, but I'm curious, what has she taught you? And he said, How to write a song, pretty much, but one of the biggest things was something pretty interesting. When we made Speak Now, there were several five- and six-minute songs on the project. At one point, that felt like a tall order, because you don't want the listeners to feel like they're listening to a long song. But when I saw her at rehearsal, and I saw how she built the show with these songs, I was like, oh, I get it now. She had this show in her head when she wrote the songs. She had a vision. And of course, that's referring to the Speak Now tour. And I think the longer songs on Speak Now are just brilliant. You have enchanted you have dear john you have last kiss and lyrically those are just incredible and she really didn't shorten them down at all for tour she really did the full versions right she really kind of built them up i feel like dear john that tour performance was up to that point one of the most dramatic and emotional tour performances that she had Absolutely. And I was just about to say, based on that quote, I wonder if when she was writing that song, she threw in the lyric, 
I'm shining like fireworks over your sad, empty town. And she knew right then and there that she was going to have fireworks going off for the tour. I think she probably did. And I think that that whole experience probably is what made her comfortable with releasing all too well and performing it the way that she did because she saw how well that it worked in that album. Yeah. And again, even though that wasn't on Speak Now, that's just another example of a long song, but it's just brilliant. So the longest songs on 1989 are This Love, which we were just talking about, and Clean. So while they're not, I guess, as long as All Too Well or some of the others, it's still good that she's continued to do that because I feel like her long songs have the most detail and the most emotion to them. I completely agree. And so many artists just want to put out short songs because they know that those long songs aren't ultimately going to be released as singles because they're going to have to get really cut down to be suitable for radio airplay. And so they just fill their albums with songs that could be hits. But Taylor's not willing to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. The longest song, Clean, is 4 minutes and 30 seconds which I still feel like is kind of short. And then looking back at other albums, it is short. All Too Well is actually five minutes and 29 seconds. So just about a minute longer, which is pretty long. It is. I guess when she decided to make the move to the pop format, she sort of has to keep in mind that pop music as a whole, generally the songs aren't that long. Yeah, I think that's the reason why. But she still didn't fill the album with only the typical three and a half minute songs that you hear on pop radio. And she just has these songs like This Love and Clean that are longer with fantastic lyrics. And yeah, they'll never be a single on the radio, but we appreciate them. And just since we were talking about Dear John earlier, I'll do a quick spur of the moment trivia for you guys. How long do you think Dear John is? I think it's over six minutes, isn't it? It is. Six, 13. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually 643, almost seven minutes long. Wow. And yeah, just how we were talking about Speak Now as well, and how that album was written all by her. It does have a lot of longer songs compared to Red in 1989. I didn't realize that Last Kiss is also over six minutes long. Mm-hmm. And then Enchanted is just under six minutes long. And Back to December is pretty long, too, I think. Yes, just under five minutes. Mm -hmm. And when that was released to radio, it was cut and edited. This just makes me want to listen to Speak Now all night long. I agree. <laughs> it really was overlooked for Album of the Year at the Grammys. It was just such a fantastic album. But going back to Nathan Chapman, he's done a lot of really cool stuff. After working with Taylor, he got a lot more work in just country music in general. He's worked with the band Perry, Keith Urban, Miranda Lambert, a little bit of other pop music too. He recently wrote a song with Parachute, and he just has a really long resume of songs, and I'm sure that he's sort of like the Max Martin of Nashville, if that makes sense. Wow, this is great. I'm looking at some of the songs that he has produced, and... Some of them are songs, now I realize why I like them so much, like Compass from Lady Antebellum, We Were Us, which was Miranda Lambert and Keith Urban, Raise Them Up, Keith Urban and Eric Church, and the band Perry, If I Die Young, huge hit 
for the Van Perry. And several other of their songs as well. And actually, when I was researching him, I saw that just last year, he put out his own album of his own original songs that he worked on with a variety of other artists. And interestingly, one song on there was a duet or a song that he co-wrote with Tyler Hilton, our good friend. Cool. And it seems like he performs at the Grand Ole Opry from time to time doing his original stuff and... It is just a very prominent fixture in Nashville, and I definitely hope that he and Taylor have plans to write together again soon if they haven't been already. I really hope so. And I do have a hope that maybe Taylor will also work with Liz Rose again at some point. She's another one of my favorites. Yeah, I feel like we need a whole other episode just dedicated to their collaborations and their work. We definitely would, but... She's great, and she still talks about how great Taylor is, so we'll see. Album six. Who knows what will happen? Well, we have a few reminders for you guys before we let you go for this episode. Please press subscribe on iTunes, and it will download the latest episode for you automatically. And also, if you'd like to leave us a review and a five-star rating, that would be awesome. We'll give you a shout-out on our next episode. And that's always a good way to help other Taylor fans discover us. If you want to contact us, there are a variety of methods. On Twitter, we are at SwiftCast13. On Tumblr, SwiftCast13.tumblr.com. Instagram.com slash TheSwiftCast13. Facebook.com slash TheSwiftCast. We always love getting emails from the listeners, and you can email us at TheSwiftCast13 at gmail.com. And finally, you can visit our website, which is swiftcast13.com. And we want to give a quick shout out to LSB on iTunes. They left us a review and a five-star rating a few days ago, or actually a few weeks ago in February. I felt like we were still in February. I don't know what month we're in, but we really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. And we'd love getting those. And yeah, keep it up. It's always great for us to see a great surprise for us. And it helps other people find us on iTunes, too, so that's an added bonus. So to wrap up today's episode, as always, we want to ask, what will Taylor do? Wow, this is tough because Taylor's just showing up in some of the most surprising and random places, in my opinion. So I don't know. I'm going to take the safe option and say that Olivia will probably catch something again. Brittany posted a video on Instagram of... Olivia catching this little toy and Taylor screamed, yay, she got it when Olivia caught it. And Olivia got so scared that she ran away. And then Taylor said, oh, she got scared. Don't be afraid of success. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> so hopefully Olivia won't get scared this time. I think this week Taylor is finally going to give us some sort of clue or preview for the new Romantics video. Yeah, that's a good one. It seems like it was many weeks ago that we heard rumors about her filming it, um, but nothing so far as to any clues from either her or Joseph Kahn. Obviously, we don't know if Joseph Kahn is directing it, but he's done a lot of her videos recently, so we'll see. I think, well, Easter's coming up next weekend, and I think Taylor will probably go home to Nashville to be with her mom and dad and maybe we'll get another funny video of her and austin easter egg hunting like last year oh that would be good that was funny all right well for episode 147 this has been adam 
Ashley, Steph, and Ashley. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of SwiftCast. Visit us on the web at theswiftcast.com. SwiftCast is not directly affiliated with Taylor Swift, Big Machine Label Group, or 13 Management.